Good morning, everybody. If you guys could have a seat. My name is Lindsay, and I am the minister to kids here. And this is my friend, Rohan. And he's going to go ahead and read our scripture today. Um, if you don't have a Bible, you can grab the blue Bible under the chair. And you can find that scripture on page 10... What is that? 90, 1099. I mean, if you would all stand with me while he reads in honor of God's word. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be completed, equipped for every good work. This is the word of the Lord. You guys can have a seat. Awesome. Thanks, Rohan. Good job, buddy. All right, guys, we are going to um, get into the word this morning, and that is our text that we, have, that we are going to be in for three weeks. We were in that text last Sunday. Uh, we're going to be in that text uh, this Sunday and next Sunday as we pursue the word together, right? We've been talking about the pursuits at Flourishing Grace, the things that we as a church, I mean, these are things that we're passionate about, things that we want to chase after, things that we want to cling to. One of those things is God's word. We want to be a people who pursue the word of God. And this scripture, right, 2 Timothy 3, 16 to 17, is one of the most kind of famous scriptures in scripture about scripture, all right? It's one of the most famous scriptures in scripture about scripture. Um, one commentator I read this week said it this way. I said, it, it's been dropped like an anvil into the flow of the discourse, which gives it special attention, right? We should pay special attention to this verse because out, kind of out of nowhere, Paul's writing to Timothy, this young man, he's giving him instructions and teaching, and all of a sudden it's just like, this huge, heavy weight has been dropped into kind of the flow of the discourse. It's worthy of special attention, right? Every year, uh, my family, we go up to Jackson Lake. It's one of my favorite places in the entire world. I know, and we camp out at Jackson Lake, and I just wake up in the morning, I look out at Jackson Lake, I go to bed, I just watch the sunset at Jackson Lake. It's an amazing place. It's just the most beautiful place on the planet. I love going there. And we always, uh, some of, we have so many pictures of just me and the boys skipping rocks on Jackson Lake. And it always, always devolves into who can find the biggest rock and make the biggest splash closest to the nearest person. All right, that's, like, that's the game. I right? become like pirates and they're like cannonballs. We're like launching them at each other. Right? These huge rocks just into the lake. That's what this verse is like. This verse hits us and makes this big splash. It's like all scripture has been breathed out by God. Wait, what? And we unpacked that last week. We only did the first half of verse 16 last week. Now we're going to do the second half of verse 16 this week. Right? All of it's been breathed out by God. Last Sunday, we said that this is a supernatural gift by God. It's been supernaturally given. He's been breathed out through human authors. God has spoken to us. It's supernaturally given, supernaturally guarded because we are supernaturally loved. That's what we talked about last week. St. Augustine said this. He said, the scriptures, the holy scriptures are our love letters from home. The holy scriptures are our love letters from home. All right, last week, that's what I 
tried to press into you is that all of this is this loving, kind, supernatural gift from God because you are supernaturally loved. And so that moves us into this week. Because you are supernaturally loved, he's giving you this gift. This gift is profitable for you. It's profitable for you. There is goodness in this. There's gold in this. If you are willing to mine the depths of it, there are more riches here than there is anywhere in the world. In the greatest gold mines, in the greatest diamonds or gems or jewels, there's more riches here than anywhere else in the world if you are willing to do the work of mining this work. It's profitable for us. This week, we're going to see it's kind of profitable in four different ways. There might be more than four, but there's four that Paul gives us in this text. There's four ways that Scripture is profitable for us, right? Teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness. I believe that each of these four uses apply to each person, every one of us, including myself, depending on the area of life and the season of life that we are in, in the scripture that we are reading, okay? What, what I mean by that is at times we are gonna receive teaching from God's word. That's the gift. That's the prophet. That's the goodness that we're gonna get. At times it's gonna be reproof. Reproof is the sweetness that we're gonna get from this. At times it's gonna be correction. At times it's gonna be training in righteousness. It depends on the season of life that we're in. Sometimes I need reproof. Sometimes I need training. Sometimes I need teaching. At different times, different scriptures are going to be profitable in different ways. This morning, I want to look at all four of these, and I want to help you have a lens to view scripture with, so that as you read your Bible, as you read your Bible, you can ask, what is it doing to me right now? It's doing something to you. Every time we open God's word, there, it's, there's profit there for us. There's profit there for us. The question is, what type is it? Can you identify it? Do you know how to respond to it, right? It's going to cultivate, it's going to stir some emotions in you, in you right? But based on that, you just say, okay, what is happening in me right now? What is God's word doing to me right now? Is it teaching me? Is it reproving me? Is it correcting me? Is it training me for righteousness, right? And then you can respond accordingly, Okay? If we can learn how to do that, if we, can learn how to, if we can learn how to identify it, we can learn how to respond accordingly. We're, we're going to get so much out of God's Word. We're going to actually be able to experience the profitability of God's Word. And so that's what I want to do this morning. Does that make sense? Are we all on the same page? All right, so let's look at these four things. My little friends in the room, my little friends, hey, what's the first one? My little friends. What's the first one? You mean do Ashley, can I start, start over? We can start over. Teaching. Thank you, my man. Teaching. Teaching. All the adults in the room, please don't start over. Teaching is the first one. Scripture's prime function, primary function within the community, within this room right here, the primary function, right, is in regards to teaching. As we learn about God, his character, his nature, his love for us, our sin, our rebellion, his restoration of us through Jesus, how to live out our lives as redeemed citizens of the kingdom, all of this through the teaching of Scripture, our hearts and our souls and our minds are fed. We gather here on Sunday morning to feast on the teaching of God's word. 
right? The teaching feeds us. We are filled. Our hearts and our souls and our minds are filled so that we can go out into the world Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, right? And filled. We, we, have, we have the sustenance that we need to move out into the world. So we, we retreat from the world. We gather together to be taught, to be filled. That's my hope this morning. I hope you're filled with the Word. I hope that you are so filled with God's Word, so, so moved by it. Tomorrow you're like, man, I got to get into the Word. There's profit there. There's goodness there. There's gold there. I want to get into that, right? And so we, we, we want to be filled. We want to be moved by this. The psalmist puts it this way in Psalm 51, verse 6. says this, Behold you, God, you delight in truth in the inward being. You teach me in the wisdom of the secret heart. Psalm 51, verse 6, right? God has wisdom in the inward being, right? Not in our bellies, but in our hearts, in our minds, in our souls. That's where God wants to teach you. He wants to reveal to you deep wisdom in the secret heart. He wants to place it into your soul. Those love letters from home. He wants to drive it into your soul so that you might receive this wisdom in the secret heart. Psalm 25 reads this way, Lead me in truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation, for you I wait all the day long. Here's what we need. If you're going to receive teaching from God's Word, you must have a posture of one who wants to be taught. Okay? You cannot, you cannot receive teaching if you are not ready to be taught. Okay? That's how this works. And we see this posture in this verse, right? Lead me into your truth and teach me. The psalmist is saying, I don't have truth. I need to be taught. Right? The world says, I have truth. I know, I know what's right. I know what's wrong. You don't need to teach me. I, I, don't, I don't need any information from you, right? The psalmist says, no, I know your truth is greater than my truth. Your ways are higher than my ways. I don't know. I'm the idiot. You are infinitely wise. I am infinitely foolish. I need you. It's a posture of humility, right? He goes on. He says, for you are God. You are the God of my salvation, right? You are the greater authority in my life. I'm not the ultimate authority in my life. I don't know everything there is to know. Again, humility coming, hungry, ready to learn, ready to be taught. He says, I wait for you all the day long. All day I'm waiting for you. Come, teach me. There's an eagerness to learn, an eagerness to be taught by the Word of God. We need this posture if we're going to be taught. Every parent in this room, my clothes are coming off. Every parent in this room, that's, that's awkward. Every parent in this room knows what it's like, knows what it's like to have a child who doesn't want to be taught. You've tried to teach a kid that doesn't want to be taught. How's that going for you? How does that work out? Not well, right? You know what it's like when your kid is struggling and you're like, hey, man, can I help you with that? No, I got it. I'm like, Okay. But, but hey, buddy, if, if you just, no, 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 no I, got, I got it, I got it, I got it, Dad, I got it, 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 Dad. But, dude, if I, no, 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 I got it. All right, buddy. Hey, when you get so frustrated that you realize that I might know better than you, you come find me. I'm going to be going doing something else that I want to do, right? You've all been there, right? And we've been that kid. We've been the child who doesn't want to be taught. As adults, we are the child that doesn't want to be taught. 
We are the ones who think we've got it all figured out. We're the ones that think that we got it all in control. But when we come to the Word of God, we cannot come with that posture. We cannot come to that. It never works out well for you. There is no teaching in this book for those who do not want to be taught. We must come with a posture of teaching. We must come and say, man, what more do you have for me? It is, it is okay to not have the answers. It's right to not have the answers. That is a right and good thing. God does not magically expect you to know everything he wants from you. He doesn't magically expect you to know everything about his character. He's God. If you come to him thinking, I know everything there is to know about God, you are a moron. There's no way you know that. We come with a posture of humility, a lack of understanding. Humbly, I know I need help. This is really where I want to be. I want to be in a place where I know what I need. When I come to the Word, I ask, man, what more do you have for me in this? Friends, I've been, I've been preaching for almost two decades now, okay? And when I read the Bible in preparation for a sermon, I, I, I study it a little bit harder, okay? Because nobody wants to walk up here and look like an idiot, all right? And I know I'm an idiot, and so i got to work a little bit harder at it, all right? And so, man, I, there are times when I'm getting ready to preach a text, and the Holy Spirit reveals to me kind of for the first time. The lights go on. I'm like, oh, my goodness, like that. I get it. I see it. There it is. I know how to, what to teach now. I know how to communicate this. Now, there it is. There's been times where that very same text, years later, I know it. I've got it unlocked. I mean, God's given me that word. I come to it years later in, in a whole new way. The Spirit's like, but you haven't seen this. It's like, oh my God, I've never seen it that way before. Like, that's so much deeper. That's so much more beautiful, right? It's, it's always deepening. It's always more beautiful. There's always, there, there's always more there for you. I love the new follower of Jesus, the person who for the first time gives their life to Jesus. They step into faith, right? And they go home and they read their Bibles. For the first time, they're just eager to dive into the Word, eager to read because they're hungry to be taught. They know they don't know and they want to know. And they come back with kind of the most simple, basic understanding, but so excited about it, so fired up. That's how I want to be until the day I die. I don't want to be the person who's like, I know everything I just know about the Bible. I mean, that person knows nothing about the Bible. We want to be a people who are humble and hungry, ready to be taught. And so when, when light bulbs are going on for the first time, listen to me, as you read the Word, as light bulbs are going on for the first time, you know you've come with the right posture. You know you've come ready to be taught. When you are reading the Bible and there's no light bulbs going on, you're like, this is boring, I don't really know, listen to me. Chances are you've come with the wrong posture. And so now you know you have a lens. You have a lens to look at this and you have a lens to see and say, man, I, I, this is, I know everything. I, this is all boring. This is nothing here for me, right? You have the wrong posture. Father, what do you want to show me today? I know you have a word for me. Every time I open this word, there is gold you have for me. Humble, teachable, ready to learn. That's the posture we want to have. That's the lens we want to have, right? Jesus would often say, those who have ears to hear, let them hear, right? Jesus was not talking about a hearing problem, right? He wasn't like, hey, anybody in the room got a hearing problem and so, I, what, so I can speak up or do sign language? Sign language. Like, that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about a heart problem. He's talking about a heart problem. People who are coming with the wrong posture to hear his teaching, right? Only if you have ears to hear, heart to receive his word, are you actually going to get it, okay? You will not be taught. You will not be taught if your heart is not 
in the right order. Now, my little friends in the room, who were the people who always, their heart was always in the wrong place? In the gospels, who were the people who never received Jesus' teaching? Who were the ones who were like, I know better than he knows, right? Who were those people? Who? The Pharisees, right? The Pharisees, the scribes, the religious elites, right? Those were the people, they're like, I know better than he knows. I know everything he knows to know about the Torah. Like, I don't know. And like, they never learned anything. And so Jesus didn't have teaching for them. What did he have? Anybody know? He had harsh words, right? Called them a brood of vipers, whitewashed tombs. This is what we call reproof. That's the second thing. That's the second thing. And let me tell you something. It's profitable. The second form of profitability is what we call reproof or, or, or um, a, a rebuke, right? The term reproof covers a range of activities all related to the process of making someone aware of sin, okay? That's what reproof is. It's opening our eyes to see, oh, sin, brokenness, what is wrong, right? That's what reproof is. It's showing us what is wrong. It begins with an educative act designed to produce a self-awareness of sin, and then proceeds to a more immediately dis disciplinary stage of calling one out for some specific misbehavior, okay? Every kid in the room has been there, right? We know what this is like when mom and dad say, stop it, reproof, okay? That's what this is. Like when you are in the wrong, when you're doing the wrong thing, that is reproof. When your parents are on you, they're saying, stop doing that. If you, I so help me one more, I'm going to count to three, right? Everybody's been there. This is reproof. And God sees all of our brokenness. He sees all of our sin. He sees it all. One of my favorite Psalms, Psalm 90, talks about this idea in this way. It says this in Psalm 90, verse 8. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. God sees all of our brokenness, all of our sin. There are things that we've done that we think mom and dad don't know about. There's things that we've done that our teacher doesn't know about. But God sees every ounce of it. It's all laid on the table in the light of his presence. He sees every failure, every rebellious act, every sinful thought, everything you thought that's bad. He sees it. It's on the table in the light of his presence. He sees it all. And so as a loving and kind God, he reproves us of those things. Children need to be reproved. Reproof is a good thing. It's a good thing. It's profitable for us. If your child is playing in the middle of a busy street, do you let them continue to do that? No, you reprove them quickly. It's harsh. It's fast. It's a snap, right? It's, it's a yanking out of the road, a swat on the butt. I know you're not allowed to do that anymore, okay? You're not allowed to spank kids, but listen to me. It's in the Bible. So there's some reproof for you this morning, all right? It's in there. Listen to me. We, we, we pull them out. We say, stop it. Is it because we hate them? Because we're, we're evil parents? No, it's loving, reproof. It's loving and it's kind. It's not always loving and kind, but when God does it, it's always loving. It's always kind. When good parents reprove their kids, it's always loving. It's always kind. It's for their good. It's for their good. 
Reproof is a good and right thing. There are times when we read the Word of God and we come to a scripture and it kind of kicks us in the gut, kind of punches us. Like, ah, I don't, I don't like that. I, I don't like the, what it's telling me. Right? It's telling me that we're wrong. It's telling me that I don't know what's better. I don't know what's right. You're being told you don't know what's best. You're being told that you are not in control. You're being told that you are out of line. You are in danger. You are being destructive. This is an embarrassing thing. It's a frustrating thing. It's a thing that makes us angry. No one enjoys reproof. No one's like, mmm, I love, I just, mm, just give me more reproof. Nobody likes that. Okay, kids don't like that. Adults don't like that. Adults especially don't like it because we think we do know everything. We think we are in control. And scripture reminds us again and again and again, you are not in control. You do not know everything and that you are doing things that are destructive and we don't like it. There's two ways that we respond to reproof, okay? The first, and we've seen this, we see this in our children, right? I mean, there are kids, when you reprove them, you say, stop it. There's sorrow, okay? It's not comfortable. Sadness. But it leads to a repentant obedience, okay? There's pain and sorrow, but it leads to a repentant obedience. And then there's the kid who kicks against it, who screams and fights, says, no, I'm not. Right, there's a fierce rebellion to the reproof. And this leads, this leads to rebellion, rejection. Okay, we do not accept it. This is the kid that goes running off. We say, oh, I'm counting three. And they just, they're in the next county, right? They rebelling against it. The kid that you say, man, go to your room. And they go to the room and slam the door and like, Start flipping over dressers, like rebelling against it, right? We've been there, judging by your laughter. I know I've been there. Nobody likes it. Nobody likes reproof. And as adults, we do the same thing. We throw our own little temper tantrums. We say, I gotta listen to that scripture. Listen to me. I wanna tell you something. The person who rejects reproof and rebels against it is stupid. I know. That's a potty word, <laughs> at least in my house. I don't know about all the other parents in the room. Not supposed to say stupid. Not supposed to call people stupid. But guess what? The Bible says you're stupid, okay? Listen to me. Here it is, Proverbs 12, 1. Proverbs 12, 1. Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but he who hates reproof is stupid. There it is, okay? It's in the Bible. Now, you can't say that about anybody else, about any other thing, but whenever your sibling hates reproof, I'm going to let the parents deal with that one later. Um, it's, there it is. If you reject this, if you kick against it, you say, I'm not doing that. I don't like it. Like, this it's moronic. It's dumb. Proverbs say this again and again and again and again. The wisdom literature of the Bible speaks much on those who hate reproof. Here it is, Proverbs 10, 17. Whoever heeds instruction is on the path to life, but he who rejects reproof leads others astray. Not only are you stupid, but you're making other people stupid too. They're watching you. They're following you. You are kicking against Scripture. You're going against the way of Jesus, and you're leading others to do the same because they're watching how you do your life. Proverbs 15, 32. He 
Whoever ignores instruction despises himself, but he who listens to reproof gains intelligence. Do you want to be smart? You want to be wise? You listen to the reproof of this book. It will place wisdom of the secret heart deep into your soul. There's wisdom and intelligence there for you. I'll give you one more. Proverbs 13, 18. Poverty and and disgrace come to him who ignores instruction. Poverty and disgrace. But whoever heeds reproof is honored. You want to be honored? You want to be an honorable person? Heed the reproof of God. Heed good, wise, loving reproof. We want to be a people. Listen to me. I want to be a person who loves reproof. I'm not saying it's ever going to be fun. Reproof's not fun, but I want to love it. I want to learn to love reproof. It's painful. At times it's embarrassing, but I know it's good for me. The world has forgotten this. The world, doesn't, the world says, man, man, you can't tell me what to do. You can't tell me your truth is better than my truth. You can't tell me there's a moral authority greater than me. Right? I am the greatest moral authority. You can't tell me there's no reproof in my life, which is why the world is. Nobody want to fill in that one in for me? Stupid. That's the word I was looking for. Um, Reproof is required. It is required. If you are going to be a man of substance, of godly substance, you're going to be a woman of godly substance, you must learn to identify the scriptures that bring reproof to your life and order your life around them. It will build and cultivate substance in your life that is valuable. Reproof is gold. It is valuable. Find it. Find it in the word and submit your life to it. Here's the beauty of biblical reproof. Okay, listen to me. We've all experienced the, the, the angry, or we've, at least in the movies or maybe in real life, the angry parent, the angry mom, the angry dad, who's just, just reproof. You're wrong. And they just walk away. That's not how the Bible works. Okay? It's always loving. And so there's something attached to it. Reproof and correction are linked together. That's the next one, correction. Correction is the kind of follow-up to reproof, the sweet balm of healing after reproof. If reproof is regarded as the negative measure, the activity that follows correcting, correcting is the positive aiming at the goal of recovery. Correction is the positive aiming at the goal of recovery. Biblical reproof and correction must always go together. Correcting is the positive, loving end of reproof. Reproof is the yanking out of the street. Reproof is the, is the slapping on the hand. Correction is the gentle explaining why. Hey, this is going to hurt you. If you continue to do that, I mean, playing in the road, you could die. Man, if you continue to go down this path in your life, it's going to bring destruction in your life. It's going to destroy your marriage. If you continue to walk down this path in your life, it's going to, it's going to, it's going to bring sorrow and despair. You're probably going to lose your job. You're not going to have any friends if you continue to behave this way. Right? Reproof, but correction is this kind, kind of loving man. And let me explain to you why this is wrong. And let me show you the better way. Let me show you that the, that the yard is safe and the road is dangerous. Let me show you where you can play. Let me show you where you can frolic. Let me show you where you can delight. Let me show you where you can have the time of your life. Let me show you where flourishing lies. This is correction, and we love correction. We need correction. My adult friends in the room, I need 
correction. Reproof says, stop, that's wrong. Correction says, now come and see, here is the way to do it. And loving parents always offer a kind and helpful correction. We know that God is a perfectly loving father, so it makes sense that his word would be filled with correction for us. It's filled with correction. Every time there's reproof, there's correction in the word of God. Every single time. Friends, men, this correction, this welcoming into flourishing is all over the Bible. I never knew this. Men, my little friends in the room, I hope that you learn this at a young age. I, I did not learn this until I was much, much older. But this is, a, this is a valuable thing. I know that every single Sunday, Miss Lindsay and our amazing, amazing kids ministry leaders, right, they're teaching you about Jesus. They're telling you that Jesus, that God, that God loved you so unbelievably much that in your brokenness, even as you kicked against all of the things that he has for you and you chose to go your own way and build your own kingdom and be selfish and do all these things, God still loved you in that. And so he puts on flesh, he becomes a, a human, he puts on skin, he puts on bones, he puts on a heart and blood, and he comes in the form of a man, Jesus, to take 100% of the reproof. You deserved, and I deserve ultimate reproof, final reproof, reproof that says death. That is the reproof that we deserve. A complete reproof with no correction is what was owed to us. And God said, no. I will step in and I'll take the reproof for you. I will go to the cross. I'll have the nails driven to my hands, the spear driven in my side, and I will bleed the ground red to take 100% of the reproof for you. But listen to me. I said this a minute ago. There's no place in Scripture where there's reproof without correction. Okay? Jesus takes the reproof. He washes you of all of your sin okay, in order to bring correction into your life so that you might experience the fullness of joy. Not only does he take the reproof, the punishment for everything you've done, listen to me, the things that reproof brings. I said earlier, it makes us embarrassed. It gives us shame. There's shame in our sin. There's embarrassment. There's guilt in our, in our, our sin. There's condemnation in our sin. Jesus took all that too, all of it. And so we don't need to be people who walk around with guilt and shame and embarrassment because there's a loving correction. It's all been paid for on the cross. It's all been covered. You don't need to walk around as somebody who's, who's filled with guilt and shame and embarrassed about, man, that your, your, your kids at, at school, they found this thing out about you and they know you did this wrong thing or your teacher found out you did this wrong thing and you're embarrassed by it. Man, all of that was paid for. All of it was covered. It's all covered by the blood of Jesus. And I, I didn't learn that at a young age. I learned that at an older age. I wish I'd have known that a long time ago because I carried around some guilt and shame for a long time. And I think some of my older friends in the room might be carrying around some of that too. Carrying around the consequences of your sin in your heart and in your mind, the embarrassment. You just play that tape again and again and again. I can't believe I did that. I can't believe I hurt that person. I can't believe I did those things. But playing that again, just guilt and shame, carrying around. It's like a weight that you've been carrying and you don't need to carry anymore. Because there's sweet, tender correction for you. You are being led into a path of flourishing if you'll give yourself to the gospel. All of it's been taken away. 
all that's been removed and all that lies for you is goodness. Every time you meet scripture that holds reproof, there will always be a loving correction. We need to be people who see that, have a lens for it. When I find reproof in scripture, I'm looking for correction. What's the correction? What's the correction? I want to cling to it with all of my might, submit my life to that correction, come underneath the authority of that correction. Let's find it. Do not delay. It's God's sweet gift within the gift. This word is his gift, but there's gifts within the gift, and correction is one of those gifts. Find it and apply it to your life. Lastly, friends, we're on the last one, training in righteousness. Training in righteousness. And this, this is the meat. This is the filet mignon. This is what we want. We want training in righteousness. Like, this is the goodness, okay? I want to be trained in righteousness. This is better than teaching. It's better than reproof. It's better than correction. It's training. I want training. Spurgeon, the great, for my little friends in the room, the greatest preacher who ever lived, his name was Charles Spurgeon. He said it this way. He said, now, nobody ever outgrows Scripture. Nobody ever outgrows it. This book widens and deepens with our years. Nobody's ever outgrown this. It always gets wider. It always gets deeper. I said earlier, man, man, decades I've been preaching this and it keeps widening and deepening and widening and deepening. There's always more there. It's training in righteousness. I, I don't know what kind of sports you guys played growing up. If you guys played sports, um, man, my family, we love wrestling. My, I, I wrestled growing up. My oldest son um, is, in, is in wrestling. My youngest son, he's going to start this year in wrestling and he's, he's so excited for it. We just love wrestling. And on the first day of wrestling, man, the things you learn, kind of 101, every sport has the 101, the basic, basic drills, the basic things, right? Basic shots, basic takedowns, and basic defense, head, hands, hip, defense, right? This is like death basic stuff. So for those of you who don't know wrestling, you're like, what the heck are you talking about? Think about your sport. What are the basics in your sport? Okay, that is teaching. We got to teach those things to young kids, to, to first-time athletes in a sport. We teach them. Right now in Las Vegas, the world championships are happening in wrestling. World championships. The greatest wrestlers in the world, right, are becoming number one in the world right now, okay? You know what they work on more than they work on anything else? Basic shots, basic takedowns, basic head, hands, hip defense. That's what they're working on. But they're not being taught it anymore. They're training in it. They're becoming the best in the world in it. They're training and training and training and training the most basic things. It's always deepening, always widening. There's always more substance. There's always more gold. There's always more goodness. I want to become the best in the world at it. So we train ourselves in righteousness. We grow in our craft. And the craft of God's word is righteousness for you. God wants to train you in righteousness. Place the gold of righteousness in the depths of your soul. That's what his word does for you. God's word cultivates righteousness in us. And that's the sweetness. That's what we want. We want to become men and women of righteousness. That's what I'm becoming. I'm a man of righteousness. And that's, that's what God's word is going to cultivate in me. Here's how Paul puts it to Timothy in 1 Timothy 4, 6, and 8. He says, If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of faith in good doctrine that you have followed, okay? You've already been following it. You've already been doing it. But now as you do this next level, you're gonna be trained all the more deeper, all the more trained in it. 
have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. Okay, we are putting off the old things. Rebuke comes, we say, okay, I'm, okay I learned. Now I'm no longer doing that, right? Now I'm going to train myself in righteousness. All these irreverent, silly things, put that away. That's no longer who I am. I'm training in righteousness. I'm becoming more and more and more like Jesus. I'm stepping into the righteousness of God as I train myself in this book, right? Proverbs 12 says it this way, in the paths of righteousness is life. In its pathway, there is no death, okay? As we walk through this life, not being trained in righteousness, we will experience death. We'll be on our, our marriages, death, okay? I'm serious. And you're like, man, I just feel like this is, and it's like not going anywhere. There's no life in my life. It is death. My marriage just feels like it's dead. My career feels like it's dead. I'm just kind of a dead end path. I feel like I'm dead as a parent. Nothing's going on. Man, man, I guarantee you, you are not in this book training yourself for righteousness. If that's how you're viewing life, I promise you, you are not in this every day training yourself for righteousness because in the path of righteousness, there is no death. We are awakening. We're becoming more alive every single day because righteousness, the path of righteousness is the path of life. I'll give you one more. Proverbs 8, 19 through 21. My fruit is better than gold, even fine gold. My yield than choice silver. Okay, I said, this is profitable for us. Better than gold, better than fine gold, better than choice silver, better than the finest silver. There's something better here. What is it? I walk in the way of righteousness. That's what's being cultivated. That's the true profitability in the paths of justice, granting an inheritance to those who love me and filling their treasuries. You want to fill the treasuries of your kids? Learn to walk in righteousness. You want fine gold? You want the full depths of Scripture? Train yourself in righteousness. Allow this book to train you in righteousness. So when you come to this text, when you come to doctrine that you have studied, that you've been taught, maybe you're taught as a kid, maybe you're taught in here on a Sunday, but you come to it again, or allow it to train you all the deeper because it's constantly widening, it's constantly deepening. Right? You want to give your kids a great inheritance? You want to give them something better than a 401k? You want to give them something better than wealth? And train yourself in righteousness. Billy Graham said, man, we are the Bible the world is reading. The world ain't reading the Bible. The world doesn't read the Bible. They read you. And as you are formed by it, trained in righteousness, they read you. They see life. They see treasure. They see gold. They say, that's it. There's something of substance there. You want to be a man or a woman of true, godly substance. Give yourself to the profitability of Scripture, to the teaching, to the reproof, to the, to the correction, to the training in righteousness. And let me tell you, here's one last thing, okay? This, this sweet new Bible that John King and his, and his company Morning Rebinds made me, I'm just throwing that out there for you, John. That's for you, buddy. This is an awesome book, but it's paper. It's ink. There's no gold there. It's paper and it's ink. If it sits on your shelf and it collects dust, there is no treasure in your home. There's no treasure in you, okay? Listen to me. It is only treasure if you put it in you. If you open it every day and you allow it to form you, that's treasure. This is paper and ink, okay? You, uh, you, don't, you don't treasure paper and ink. 
It's not worth gold and fine silver. It's what it forms into you. That is what is profitable. So give yourself to it every day. Let me pray for you. Father, we come before you. And I pray this morning, through the teaching of your word, you have taught us, you have rebuked us. For, for those who, man, this is all new. This is new. You've taught us. You've taught us that your word is profitable. For those of us who have not been reading your word, those of us who know, man, this is profitable, but I've been putting it off. You've rebuked us. You've corrected us. You've shown us the value. You've shown us the right way. And for those of us who have been in your word, for those of us who love your word, for those of us who are in it every day, man, I pray that you've provided something new, a deepening, a deepening of Scripture, that you have produced a greater level of righteousness in us, greater encouragement in our hearts. You strengthen us this morning. You're constantly moving. You're constantly doing this. And so we praise you because your word is profitable. It's a sweet, sweet gift from your hand. Open our eyes. Help us to see it. Help us to be a people who pursue the word. Praise in the sweet name of Jesus. Amen.